Well, this morning, we're concluding this series, which I actually intended to be much shorter than this. And then as we started going through it, I just felt that there were things we needed to say that we can't say in a short period of time. The series has been about this unprecedented statement that Jesus makes that no one has ever made before, at least not in truth. And he says, I am. And when Jesus says, I am, he's referring to himself as the one who has been and was before time was created. Remember when we studied the aseity of God, the self-existence of God before there was even time. In fact, when we say God is eternal, the word eternal has to do with time. And God existed before there was any eternal, but that's just the best the language can do. And so we've been studying what is meant by the I am sayings. And this morning we're concluding with the last one, which is in John 15. I am the true vine and you are the branches. And we've been talking about how that applies to our lives. And so we're going, we're continuing in the third part of this chapter 15 study, which is about pruning. Remember what we said in the beginning when we started talking about pruning. How many of you kind of wince, you know, kind of like, oh, when you know that God is pruning you? You know, it, it's we have a, a feeling about pruning that it means oh, 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 like, oh, that isn't going to be comfortable. But what we said, why does our heavenly father prune us? He prunes us. What is his motive? So, because he what? Loves us. And toward what purpose is our Heavenly Father pruning us? So that we might be producing, remember what? Bearing more fruit. And what is this fruit that our Heavenly Father is bringing forth in us in greater and increasing abundance? What is this fruit? I am the vine, you are the branches. My Father prunes each of the branches, what? So it will bear more fruit. Remember that? So what is this fruit? Say it again, Stephen. The image of God's Son. Okay, that's a great way of putting it. The fruit is... Well, first of all, how do you know the apple tree is alive? Because you see the, the, the big tree coming out of the ground and the branches. Well, that might be an indication. But if there ain't no green things on the branches, if there's no fruit being produced, would you say that tree is alive? 
It may just be one of those dead trees. Have you ever seen them? They're standing out there. The fruit proves that it is alive. And the fruit proves it by bringing forth and manifesting the essence of the nature of the root. Correct? The nature of the root. If it's an apple tree, it's going to produce oranges. We know that. No, it's going to produce apples. So God has saved us for this purpose. This is the purpose of God, that we would bear the fruit that manifests, that speaks about, that proclaims, that trumpets the glory of his risen, exalted, ruling, reigning, returning son. Correct? That's the fruit. The fruit of our lives is to be the literally the living out of the life of Jesus in us. And so how does God make sure that that fruit continues not only to grow, because he has to make sure it grows. He doesn't plant us and begin to bear fruit in us and then stop the same process of growth. The power with which he saved us to be saved is the same working of his power that causes us to continue to be saved, to continue to bear fruit. And so he's continually increasing the fruit. So why is he doing this? So more and more of the life of Jesus may be seen in us. Now, we talked about pruning as the process. It's a cleansing away of anything that gets in the way of the development of the fruit. Any sin issue, any idolatry issue, any activity in us to clean and to purify. So anything that gets in the way, he's going to remove it. And we just have to trust him about this. Now, how many of you have a little vine climbing around, you know, in your yard? Little, what do you call these? Uh, no, the little vines you want to climb around. Different ivy. Let's say you have ivy. And I think I told you this story. There was a lady in the church years ago who was dealing with her son who was continually going back into drugs. And she was frustrated. And she was angry. Understandably so. But you see, if she would have put her hands on, if you would, his life while being frustrated and angry, what would have happened? So here she has a vine called her son. And she is overseeing his life. She's her mama, the mama. And the vine is growing this way. And all of a sudden, one day, it begins to turn to the right where it shouldn't be going. And it begins to go into the wrong direction. Oh, you're following me this morning. It's not doing what is indicative of what he should be doing. So what do you do? If she's angry and frustrated, impatient, it's just about time you stop this. Well, we understand that. But if she were to grab that fragile little vine with that attitude, what would have happened to the vine? She would have jerked the life out of it. So what did she do? What should she do, rather? What does the Heavenly Father do when he sees us going in the wrong direction? 
he very carefully, patiently, but strongly maneuvers us into the right place. And that maneuvering, if you would, is his pruning work. Now, to the vine itself, he's disconnecting me from going this way. I don't like it. I want to go this way. And I need to go another way, Pam. And so, to me, it may be very uncomfortable. And how many of us know the pruning of the discipline of the Lord is often uncomfortable? But why the uncomfortability? Because you see, living in this fallen body of sin, remember the body of this sin that Paul talks about at the end of Romans chapter 7. Who will deliver me from the body of this sin or this body of sin that I live in? This body is holding on to a way of life. And so often in order to get it going into the right direction to express the life of Jesus, things have to be extricated. You know what I mean by extricated? What does that mean? Removed. So that we can grow in the right way. And when things get removed from my life, I don't like it. I might actually be hurt. I'll just give you a personal example and then we'll move along into what the lesson is really all about today. Years ago, I started going to the gym. <laughs> I know, don't laugh. I see your face. I see what you're doing. And so years ago, I used to go to the gym. And I started working out. There's a difference between exercise and working out. So I was going as best I could Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, working out about two, two and a half hours a day. I was working out. And I'd gotten my bench press my max at that point was 250. Curling. Triceps. Biceps. You know, whatever seps. And here's the problem. Are you okay? Listen to the problem. First of all, is it wrong to exercise? No. But God, I was with the church then, one of the pastors in the 90s. What began to happen in me, and, and listen very closely to your own heart here. Listen closely. I began to be annoyed with, even resent anything that I needed to do as a pastor in the church that interfered, John, with my going to the gym at 4 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Can I meet with John Mesh? He has a real problem tomorrow, tomorrow 4 o'clock. 
Okay. Okay. Anything that got in the way of my working out, I began to have a problem with. Is there anything in your life that if it's taken away, you're going to have a problem with? You're going to be upset. Is that in our lives? That's called an idol. And the Holy Spirit began to tell me, don't be like that. Don't be like that. So finally, I knew it wasn't God, you see. You know what I'm talking about. So finally, in October of 92, I was doing the preacher bench. You know what a preacher bench is? It's the thing where you sit down, you have a 45-degree angle here. You put your arms, you get the weight, you put your arm, and you do like that. And I went down, and I pulled the wrong way, and I pulled the back out. Guess what? Sarah, I stopped working out. It hurt physically. And today, I still have the proceeds of that. You know, as now that was weakened and whatever. And, you know, so the result today is I have a brace on my foot because that back was bad, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, so I, I still, if you would, pay for that. And was I upset? Imagine not being able to work out anymore. Would you be upset? Who? I was upset. We're talking about the pruning love of God. If God, the Father, the vine dresser, allowed me to continue to going the way I was going, spiritually at least, and maybe in other ways, my life was going, Todd, the wrong way. You understand that? It wasn't immoral, but it was something that was beginning to compete with the work of God. And the Father had to change it. And I didn't listen to him and let him take, you know, a little bit. So he had to do something drastic. And it took me a little while, a little while, until I was able, with truth, to say to God what I will say right now. I thank you so much that this happened. Oh, I'm thankful to God for this. I am thankful. Because the result of walking in God's favor and in his will, not perfectly by any means, is so much greater than having that which was competing with him. Oh, you're with me this morning. This is where God is going in, our, in his pruning of us. So, two questions, and I want to go through them rather quickly because I digressed a little bit. How does God prune us? Well, he prunes us by the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have noticed that we cannot save ourselves? You see. And in the same way that we cannot bring ourselves into the kingdom of God. We cannot make ourselves holy and righteous by anything that we can do. We cannot do it. 
In the same way, we cannot be producing the very life or reproducing, if you would, manifesting the very life of Jesus in us on our own. We need help. So what does Jesus say in John 14, 26? Some of you know. 14, 26, Jesus is with the disciples and he's talking about going. Remember, I'm going to be going. Where are you going? Can you show us the Father? Remember that? He starts talking about that in chapter 14 and moves on. And so further in chapter 14, he says, it is good for you that I go because I'm going to go and I'm going to ask the Father that he will send you another comforter, the Holy Spirit. He does. Even the spirit of truth to be with you always. Now, why does Jesus send the spirit? First of all, can we be born again without the coming of the Holy Spirit into our lives, invading us? Listen, invading our will. Our will that did not want anything to do with God. Changing our stony heart. Remember Ezekiel 36? Changing that heart of stone that was in any and every way opposed to the things of God. Not to the man-thinking concept of God, but to the reality of God. You see, because here's the problem about really believing in God. You are receiving and yielding to Him who has absolute authority over you, and you are surrendering all of your, what you might call your freedom, your personal prerogative, your way of life, you are surrendering it to another person. And we don't like that. We don't like that. And so the Holy Spirit must be given to us in order to bring us or birth us into the kingdom of God. That's when God the Father begins the pruning process. Did you ever think of that? He begins to prune us. Remember the word pruning has to do with cleansing. Let me read you this from Ezekiel 36. It may be in your notes. I will sprinkle clean water on you. What is that a reference to? Pruning. I will prune you with clean water. He's referring to the cleansing of our original sin and a cleansing of our guilt from us when the Holy Spirit is given to us. I'm going to prune you so that you can come into my kingdom as clean, pure branches in Christ. So we're not in Christ except by the pruning of the Father, by the agency of the Holy Spirit. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you what I will prune you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new pruned heart and put a new spirit within you. I could have put pruned spirit. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a pruned heart of, yeah, I will give you a pruned heart of flesh. So when does the pruning begin when we're saved and what is God's ultimate purpose in pruning us Steve has already said it he prunes us in order that we are progressively and increasingly being conformed to the image of his son remember 
Romans 8.29. How many of you know it? Romans 8.29. He has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, where have we heard that word image before? Where have we heard that image? See, this is what Genesis 1.26 means. Let us make God. Um, God says, let us make man what? In our image, after our likeness. What does that mean? Well, you know, I've, I've read a couple of things about that, and there's a lot of debate. What does it mean here? What does it mean there? But okay, I understand. Does it mean morally this? And it doesn't mean physically. To, essentially, this is what it means. That God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, is, remember the potter and the clay, is reforming or refashioning us so that our lives are being conformed to the image of his own son, the Lord Jesus. Now, who is Jesus? Colossians 1.15. This is the verse you probably had in mind. Christ is what? The image of the invisible God. And then in chapter 2, I don't remember if it's verse 9 or whatever. In Christ, the fullness of the deity dwells. Is it verse 9? Someone may want to look at. Um, I, I've forgotten my verse. Colossians 2. Is it 9? Okay. Colossians 2, 9. So what is God doing? He is pruning us by the Spirit. So everything about our life, every thought, Every word, every deed, every motive, every attitude will speak of what person? Will speak of Jesus. Remember the two areas of fruit that we've emphasized? It is the fruit of the character of Jesus. Where do we see the character of Jesus? It's all... The character of Jesus is displayed and spoken about all over the New Testament, even in the Old Testament. Obviously, that's where it begins. It begins in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, and the, and the, uh, the Lord didn't burn them right then. And, and deal, remember, he saved them. He continued to work with them. They did not die. He had to cover them, remember, with the skin of an animal in Genesis 3.21. But what is that little nine-word description of the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians chapter 5. It should be in your note. Verses 22 to 23. That means this. That I've had folks in the office before, and the husband and wife are sitting there. And Charlie, the way you have been acting at home, really frustrates John. Notice I didn't put that on John. It just frustrates. So you two in my office, th this didn't happen. At least I don't think it did. Maybe it didn't. I don't remember. <laughs> and John, why are you frustrated? Well, I'm frustrated because Charlie is not making my dinner on time. That frustrates me. Right? She's been late a couple. <laughs> Did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> I picked a good subject here, didn't I? Thank you, Lord. I could have picked on Steve Roberts, but I don't want to. What, 
Why are you frustrated? And Charlie would, I mean, what's your name again? John. John would look at me and say, with those eyes, I already told you, dumbbell. He's not going to say it, Dane, but I'm going to see it in his face. You ever see things in your patient's face? You're going to drill what? <laughs> Jacob. He says, why am I frustrated? I just told you why I'm frustrated. Why is he frustrated? I ain't getting my dinner at 6 o'clock at night when I like it at 6 o'clock. I want my dinner at 6. I work hard all day long and I'm up early and this and that. I deserve to have my dinner. What in the world are you doing all day long with how many kids you have? Six? With just six kids and doing nothing at all. I'm frustrated. So I heard that. I say, okay, I understand. I got a cognitive comprehension. Then I would ask this, Phyllis, but why are you frustrated? I need to go to another counselor. This guy, he just don't understand nothing. Why are you frustrated? So finally, John comes to the place of saying, what do you mean? I said, what is causing the frustration? Then he tentatively, hesitatingly, and quietly says, Sin? Probably sin. And I said, you can forget the word probably. It's sin. You see, all this stuff in our lives begins to cause the bubbling up of sin and because John hasn't responded remember the fruit of the spirit patience kindness gentleness etc he's not manifesting the life of Jesus because John I'll ask you this how has God responded to all your sin uh, patience yeah gentleness forbearance He's reproducing in us the life of Jesus by his Holy Spirit. And so the last question is this. What is God's ultimate goal in all of this? And this is what we want to see. What is God after? When Jesus is being manifested in me through the fruit of the Spirit in my character, as his character is becoming my character, as my character and his character are coming into moral correspondence, becoming one, as the ministry that I'm called, to which I'm called, and each one of us are called, is really beginning and developing as the ministry of the Spirit in me toward others. And Jesus is being more and more seen. Remember Peter and John, because of their boldness, what do they say? These men have been what? With Jesus. Cody, these men have been with Jesus. You've been with Jesus. You know why I know you've been with Jesus? Because what you've been going through, a normal guy, normal in the flesh, you know, normal, would be angry and resentful, but all you have been is forgiving and kind and patient. That's God. Are we listening to me? Carmen, that's God. 
Linda, that's the Holy Spirit. And when they see Jesus in us, this is a manifestation of glory, the God of glory, the God's glory. Why? Remember what we said. Where is God's glory manifested? In his Trinitarian, in, in the, uh, the one being of God is a triune God. When they see Jesus in me, are they seeing the Heavenly Father? Are they seeing God the Father? Yes or no? Yes, why? Because in Jesus dwells, that's Colossians 2, 9, the fullness of the deity. That means in this man, the three persons of the Trinity, equally and fully, simultaneously dwell in this one man. That's the Trinity. And what is being seen is what God wants to declare about himself, his absolute uniqueness. Not just because there is a God who's always existed, because the Muslims believe that. Right? This God exists as one being. But in this one being, or as this one being, there are three equal, divine, distinct, divine persons. Each one fully, simultaneously, and continually possessing the same being or the same nature of God. That's the distinction that makes God, God, and every other deity, so-called, idols. This is what God is after in our lives. God wants to manifest himself to all the world. So that when the three persons of the Trinity are clearly manifested in God is glorified. This is why he saved you. Carrie, he saved you for this specific purpose, that in you, the glory of his being, as manifested in this ruling, reigning, and returning man, is being manifested as the fruit of our relational life with God in Christ. So if you want to know why you're being pruned, so that God the Father is developing the fruit of the revelation of Jesus. Amen? This is why. Now, there's a lot, I'm glad, so glad that, Todd, you kind of overviewed the whole I Am series. So thank you for doing that. If you want a good overview of that, this series, you go back to when Todd taught that. I don't remember the date, Todd. Now, we've finished this series. I just hope and I do believe that the Holy Spirit has spoken to many of you. And so we're having breakfast next week. And I'm asking you this because I know how it is. Well, we're not having class, therefore let's not go. We're human beings. We think like that. But let's not do that. Let's honor what God has and is and will continue to do in this particular class also, as he does in the church. Let's honor that by being together with him and for him next Sunday at breakfast. Okay? And for those of you who would be bold enough to share for just a few moments 
How has God touched your life? What has God taught you? Whatever it is in this particular series. Because we like to know what the Holy Spirit is doing among us, correct? So come ready to share. If it's easy for you, and I would recommend this, write it down during the week. A couple of thoughts here and there of what God has been doing in you. And come and share them. And we'll eat, we'll start, what, what time do we start? Nine o'clock. But when there's food, some of you will be here at six o'clock in the morning, I know. Well, <laughs> that's how that works. And we'll be in here. And we'll probably try to stop. Well, we're not going to stop eating. That's not going to happen. But around 20 after, 25 after nine, we'll ask folks to start coming up and speaking to the microphone. Even while you're gobbling down your food, it's okay. This, this won't be inappropriate. So I really want to hear from you. I really want to know what God has been doing in your life. So hopefully you will come. And you may not get to share because there were too many others I don't know, so that's okay. So let's, let's do that and honor God next week. Amen? Thank you so much.